Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today on the show, episode 104, we have Tony Bridinger on with us. She's making history, making waves in the sport as the first Arab-American female to compete in in NASCAR. She's going to make some National Series starts later this year, running for Young's Motorsports in ARCA and as well this weekend at Talladega. So we chatted with her about her entire career, her life up to this point. Really interesting conversation. I think you guys will enjoy that. Plus, we'll talk about Richmond, which was Richmond. Leave it at that. <laughs> we'll talk Dega too. But before that, we're paying homage to an old man. And yes, I can say that because he's officially old, but he stays young by getting behind the wheel. Here's Papa Siegel with more this week. Thank you, Duve. Welcome, everyone, to episode 104. Today, we turn the Wayback Lens on a West Coast road racing ace and NASCAR Hall of Fame nominee. Herschel McGriff began racing stock cars in 1945. Almost 10 years later, with a little prodding from Big Bill France, McGriff was convinced to come east and raced the NASCAR Cup Series after the season had already started. He won four races that year, had 17 top 10 finishes, and finished sixth in the standings, despite having missed the first 10 races. His average finishing position that year was actually higher than the series champ, Lee Petty. That impressive showing opened up possibilities for McGriff the following year. He was offered a cup ride, to race for millionaire Carl Kefer's newly formed team. McGriff decided to return home to the West Coast to be closer to his family and tend to his growing timber and mill business. Tim Flock ended up driving that car instead to 18 victories that season and the season championship. How's that for a what-might-have-been tale? McGriff ran a limited West Coast schedule during the 60s until deciding to dive back into racing full-time in the 70s. He ran the number 04 for the first time in 1971 and became associated with that number for the rest of his career. He won the NASCAR Winston West Championship, you know it is the K&N West Series, in 1986. That year was part of a string of 10 consecutive years of top 10 championship points finishes in the series. He absolutely dominated the old Riverside Raceway in California, winning there 14 times. For all of his accomplishments on the track, though, McGriff has to be best known today for his longevity. He competitively raced stock cars over more than seven decades. Think about that one and let it sit in. More than 70 years. In 2018, at the ripe age of 90, McGriff ran the K&N West Series race at Tucson, making him the oldest person to participate ever in a NASCAR-sanctioned event. You probably were there for that, Duve. In 1998, 
Herschel McGriff was named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers, and he's been a consistent NASCAR Hall of Fame nominee since 2016. That's all for today. Back to you, my boy. Thank you, Dad. Yeah, Herschel McGriff. Um, I don't remember if I was actually at that Kane and West race where he competed in his 90s. If I was, I feel like I would have remembered it, but I definitely was following along. It was just crazy that he was able to get back in the car and just just turn laps. I mean, if I can do half of that when I'm as old as he is, I'd be happy with myself. All right, let's get this episode started like we always do with a good old-fashioned Toyota owners 400 at Richmond Raceway. That happened this past Sunday. And as I said, it was a race. And I'll leave it at that. It wasn't It wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't terrible. It just wasn't that good. Denny Hamlin dominates, leads over half the day, right? Martin Truex Jr., he's got a fast car. Speeding penalty, comes from the back, finishes top five. Joey Logano, he had a fast car as well. They three were the class of the field. But out of nowhere, seemingly, Bowman the Showman, maybe the Grim Reaper is what we should call him because every racetrack he wins at goes away. But he stole this one, and it was not a lucky win. It was a deserving one, and I'm going to tell you why. Because he started 24th, came up to the front of the field, was running inside the top five and top ten, uncontrolled tire penalty, sent him back to the rear of the field, drove back up, caution comes out with 20 or so to go, Greg Ives pumps the tires up, puts him in a position to make a race-winning move, which he did on the best car of the day in Denny Hamlin, and he wins. How about the showman, right? I was at the racetrack on Sunday, and I asked him on Zoom about his third career victory, how he got it. Hey, Alex, congratulations. Uh, just curious if you find any poetry in Jimmy making his first IndyCar start in the 48 car and you getting the win here today. Any poetry at all in that? Yeah, it's really cool. Um, you know, I, there's so much, so many different things going on right now that I almost didn't even remember that. You know, it's it's my first win in the 48 and, and getting the 48 back in victory lane. Um, thanks, man. What? The heck? what? Ruined it for you. <laughs> Joey's over there. But um, no, it just, you know, it's really special for a lot of reasons to win for Ally, uh, to get the 48 back in victory lane. Obviously, really emotional, um, you know, losing Rowdy and Blakely this offseason. So, uh, you know, just it's uh, it's been a lot. Um, you know, obviously, Jimmy making his IndyCar debut today as well is really cool. It's probably over by now. So somebody fill me in on, on how he did and how eventful it was or wasn't for him. But um, really, really cool. He uh, I think he finished 19th. He spun out early, got stalled, but then got back going, missed a wreck early. Alex Pillow won. Um, second question. Nice. Um, I, I know it was emotional for you after the race, as you mentioned, if you don't mind sharing, just, can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with Rowdy and, and how hard this offseason really was for you and your team? Yeah. Um, I mean, our group has a lot of personalities and a lot of awkward people, I guess. Um, you know, Greg and myself are a bit awkward. Um, you know, we have, some normal personalities, but like Rowdy was that big outgoing personality that really kept the group pumped up in any situation. Um, you know, really held us all together, was always happy no matter what the circumstance was. And we meant a ton to our race team. Um, 
he's probably the first guy uh, when I filled in in the 88 back in the day to really make me feel super welcome and feel like like he had my back and um, it just it, it's he was just a, a huge part of our team. Obviously, pretty emotional there talking about the uh, the Rowdy Harrell stuff, which for good reason. I mean, he was crying on the front stretch, and I don't blame him, man. I, I can't even imagine what that team has gone through in the offseason, but glad that they were able to get a win for him and, and get into the playoffs. Major adjustment was made on that pit stop, the final one, from crew chief Greg Ives, and it worked at the end of that thing. Pumped the tires up just enough so they didn't freaking pop, and man, it worked to a T. If it was maybe five more laps, he probably would have gotten past, but it wasn't, so it worked. So here's an audio clip, and it starts off with um, Alex Bowman and Greg Ives having some interesting, shall we say, dialogue about the seat that Alex just vacated. Take a listen. I farted in that chair, though, so if it's a little warm, I'm sorry. That's all right. You good? I'm good. So far, yeah. Awesome. You can tell Alex we all heard that. Um. Yeah, that's what I got <laughs> to deal with. Of course I did. So um, going back to something I learned with Dale here, uh, I think we were running top five, top eight or something like that. And we had a adjustment late that it uh, worked okay, but didn't work quite exactly how he wanted. And he didn't yell at me, but he uh, advised me on some of the things that distracted in the last 50 laps. Um, and, you know, at the start of the race, we knew we had a, a 30 lap run there. So we made some adjustments uh, to try to trial that, you know, um, and, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and lie, but I, I knew we were going in the right direction. I didn't think it was anything magical. I just thought um, it was the right direction. So put that in our memory bank and, and go from there and uh, know that we did make adjustments, um, you know, just based on his comments and, and, and what he fought on the short run. Their relationship is, is low key, I think. And because they're low key, like one of the funniest relationships that I have seen in NASCAR in recent memory, especially with the driver and crew chief. I, I love it. They're, they're so funny and it's so casual and I feel like people need to talk about it more. So here I am talking about it a little bit more. Denny Hamlin finished in second place, first second place finish this year, but he's only finished outside the top five once. Nuts, right? He said that he'd rather be where he is than Alex Bowman is right now, already locked into the playoffs with a win. I see where he's coming from, but are you buying what he's selling? Take a listen. But he is right about one thing. They are, as he says, smashing everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's frustrating for sure, um, you know, but – Honestly, I'd like to. I'd rather be Ryan than Alex Bowman. I, I don't care that he, he's got to win. I mean, we're we're smashing everyone, so I'd rather, still rather be where I'm at. It was also a good day to have a good day for Eric Amarola. Finished sixth, his first top ten of the season, as well as Matt DiBenedetto earned his first top ten of the season as well. They're still probably going to have to win and get into the playoffs, but got to give them a shout out because they needed some good luck and some good runs, and and they got it on Sunday at Richmond. Let's also talk about John Hunter Nemechek. He wins the Truck Series event the day before at Richmond, and he does it again over his boss, Kyle Busch. This is becoming a pattern, which is pretty damn impressive, beating the man in the Truck Series, probably the best Truck Series driver of all time. Yeah, I said it in Kyle Busch. John Hunter Nemechek, new father at that. How do you like that? 
Yeah, I mean, Bristol definitely hurt us as far as our points cushions. We have to build that back up. But um, as far as everything else, I feel like our year has gone well. We've been fast every single week. It's just minimizing mistakes, putting races together. And uh, Vegas and Atlanta was okay. Uh, we did it here. Um, it, it's all about being prepared, not making mistakes, and communicating well um, with Eric Phillips on the box and the rest of the guys. So um, I'm happy with where we're at. I wish we could have won the first stage and dominated the whole day today. Um, coming from 18th, the second in the first stage was uh, pretty good. We had a really fast Toyota Tundra. So can't thank all my guys enough, all the employees at KBM and everyone at Toyota for believing in me and giving me this opportunity. Um, without Kyle and uh, Jack Irving and Tyler Gibbs and everyone at Toyota, um, this opportunity wouldn't have been given to me. So I'm proud to be back in Victory Lane for a second time. Lastly, guys, I mean, we talked about it on the Front Stretch podcast this week with Daniel McFadden, but what happened to Richmond? I love it. It's it's one of my home tracks. It's close by, two hours. I was there on Sunday. Used to be called the excitement track, the action track, beating and banging, fighting, tempers, fisticuffs, all this stuff. And now it's 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 kind of boring. I mean, there wasn't a caution for, I think, 625 laps of green flag racing that was on track. And that's a problem. I think it's partly the cars. It's partly the drivers getting better, but something's up with the track too. Like, I I don't know. Maybe it's aged or maybe it is just the cars. I, I don't know if that's it, but whatever it is, I hope it gets fixed because I like Richmond a lot and I want to see it return to what it was in the mid to late 2000s, which is a really, really good racetrack under the lights, in the daytime, whatever. It used to be really great and now it's just eh. Interview time. Let's throw it over to our chat with Tony Bridinger of Young's Motorsports. She is the winningest female in USAC history. But as she mentioned to me when I brought that point up, she doesn't really care or think that's a big deal. Uh, talked a lot about being a female in motorsports, and I love what she says. The car doesn't know gender. The track doesn't know gender. And that is the focal point of our conversation. But we also talked about a lot of different things, fun things, how she started go-karting, Broke her arm, and there's a really funny story there. Again, being the first Arab-American female in NASCAR, what it means to her to be the first. And I think I'm burying the lead here, but she has a bunny named Fetty Hop. Yes, it's named after Fetty Wap. Incredible. Absolutely incredible name and story for a really incredible woman, too. Here is my chat with Tony Bridinger. Pleasure to welcome on to the podcast this week, Tony Bridinger of Young's Motorsports, the winningest female in USAC. She has been everywhere on the Today Show, in the New York Post, on the Ellen Show, but now she made some time for us at Victory Lane. So good morning. Welcome to the show. Glad you could carve out some time for us because I know you're really busy, especially this week. Yeah, this week's kind of crazy, but good morning. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to talk with you. Absolutely. So let's go all the way back. And I know people that know you and have seen your appearances on all these shows and read all these articles, they probably know, but I want to dive a little bit deeper in. You started racing when you were nine years old in go-karts at Sonoma, actually, because you grew up on the West Coast in San Fran with your twin sister, Annie, and your dad. And pretty much from there, the rest is history. You were hooked. Yeah, um, we just took a class. Um, it was over the winter and we had nothing else going on. Um, we didn't have school or anything. So my dad was like, hey, do you guys want to just go do this for fun? And 
I had no idea what a go-kart was. Like me and my sister used to play Mario Kart on the Wii and everything. Um, so we knew what that was. And I kind of think I was expecting it to be kind of like that, which it definitely was not. I just remember Throwing some bananas and red shells, right? Like a little something extra. Yeah. Um, but I just remember like standing over the go-kart right before it was like my time to get in. And I was like, Oh, this is it. It was just like a frame and a body. And I was like, okay, just a couple pedals there, steering wheel. Um, so just definitely wasn't what I was expected, but I still got hooked on it and I was like, let's go. I want to do this every day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. All right. Now we got to talk some Mario Kart. Uh, what's yes. your favorite power up, favorite track, favorite character? Give me the four one one. People want to know. Um, I definitely use princess peach, you know, I just got, mm -hmm. I love her. She's so cute. Um, what's like the rainbow road is that? Yeah. Without it's so hard though. Oh my God. Yeah. That one's like the intense one, but I like how it has like different stuff going on. We need some excitement in there. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm more of a Princess Daisy type of guy because my name is Davey, so it's close enough. But Peach, <laughs> I, I love Peach too. So we'll, we'll play Mario Kart one day. You'll be Peach. I'll be Daisy. I'll knock you off Rainbow Road and we'll uh, we'll live to tell about it. How does that sound? <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> cool. Uh, I also read actually when you were go-karting at a young age, you had a really big wreck, flipped your go-kart, broke your arm and you yeah. couldn't race in the one that you were scheduled to, I think the next day or that week or something like that. I mean, being that young and having an injury that, I mean, it's not severe, but breaking your arm, it's, it's a big deal. Like, how did you rebound from that? And clearly it didn't deter you at all, but breaking your arm at that young in a go-kart where you don't have a whole lot of protection, no roll cage, anything, that had to be a big deal at that time. Yeah, I feel like I still remember the moment like exactly. And it's just mm. funny because I was so young and like a little naive. I didn't really understand the physics that like if somebody touches wheels with you, that's how you're going to flip over. So I remember like I flipped over and I was like, why am I upside down right now? Like that was my <laughs> first thought. I was like, how did I just go upside down? Um, So like that whole thing was just like so funny. Just like the thoughts going through my head. Like um, it was at Cal Speed, which is basically like this giant parking mm -hmm. lot. So it wasn't like a track where there's like grass to land on. So I just landed right. on like freaking park concrete. And um, I remember there's like these poles and I was just like, man, I hope I don't hit a pole right now. Like that would suck. Um, but I just remember like I hit a barrier and then my go-kart like kept going. And like, I was just like laying there and like all these medics were like, don't get up, don't get up. Why don't they want me to get up? I was like, what? Like I can get up right now. But they thought I broke my back because it looked like so dramatic and everything, oh, but I just man. broke my arm. Um, but yeah, I was just kind of, um, I never, like, it didn't really scare me in the moment. I was just like, what just happened? Like it obviously happened so fast. Yeah. yeah. Um, I never, it never stopped me. Remember I wanted to get in the go-kart the next day and race and I'm like, no, you have a cat. So you can't even hold the wheel. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> well, did you see but, Kevin Harvick's son? He's getting fitted for a cast to hold yeah, the wheel. I saw that. I'm like, dang, that's what I needed. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's crazy. So when, when that happened though, was your dad with you? Was Annie in the race? Like what was their reaction? Um, so my dad was watching and he ran out on the track, which is like a big no, no, you're not supposed yeah. to do that. Instincts <laughs> kick in. Right. So he ran out on the track and I asked my sister about it. She's like, she, I think they had like, they red flags the whole session and had everybody come in. And my sister was like, Oh, I think that's Tony out there. <laughs> she was just confused with the situation. Um, but yeah, we were just like, so young. I think I was like nine years old. Yeah. Wow. Breaking your arm at nine is, uh, it could be a traumatic experience, but didn't deter you. So we're glad that you're here to, to tell the tale. Let's talk about your sister for a second, because as you mentioned, you raced with her for a while, but she decided to go a different route. She's showing her smarts because 
She's a mechanical engineer at Purdue. Um, mm-hmm. Way smarter than we'll ever be. I can say that with pretty much certainty. <laughs> uh, but she did race for a little bit. And it was pretty cool to, I imagine, share some time, you know, growing up. Because a lot of people say, you know, when they get to Arca Trucks Xfinity Cup and they look back on go-karting, like that was the time of their lives. And to spend that with your sister and your dad, looking back on that, even now, although you're so young and working your way up, pretty fond memories, I bet. Yeah, definitely. We made so many memories and we traveled the entire country just going to races. And for the most mm-hmm. part, like now, like I fly to races, but when I was a kid, we used to just go on the road trips with my dad and drive there and used to just pull our go-karts with the trailer. Um, so we just have so many memories of just like exploring and just kind of going to like different places. So definitely lots, lots of good, fun memories for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Well, Tony, a lot of people may know you because you've made headlines as being the first Arab American in NASCAR. Uh, your mom is from Beirut, and I think you still have some family there. Is that right? Yeah, I still have family in Beirut, which is really awesome. Um, I definitely, I want to go there um, one day for sure. Yeah. Um, I've heard it's really beautiful, and uh, I'm sure my mom would love to go back too. Yeah, me too. I, I'm definitely trying to get out there. One of my one of my bucket list items in my life. But yeah. you know, you talked about it at length. I mean, in in terms of being the first, but you're not going to be the last. What does it mean to you, though, to be the first? Because you said you're not going to be the last, but somebody's got to blaze a trail and you are that person. So what does that mean for you? Yeah, honestly, when I first found out about it, I was a little bit disappointed because I would just kind of expected that somebody else would have been the first. You know, NASCAR has been around for so long. I would have just assumed that somebody else has already did that. So I was a little bit disappointed that nobody got the opportunity before me. Um, but I do really want to pave the way for others. So I'm hoping this does open the door and I've gotten so many messages and DMS of, um, little girls just saying that they look up to me and that they want to follow my footsteps. So it's really cool that I could just even make a small difference. That's really cool. Yeah. And being a female in the sport is not easy. I'd imagine. Um, and you know, you always say, and I really like this line, you know, the track doesn't know gender, the car doesn't know gender. I think that pretty much says all that needs to be said. But in your time racing, whether it's late models at Hickory or USAC, even ARCA and trucks uh, coming up this year, have you personally experienced any challenges or any moments where you're like, oh, I see what they're talking about when it it comes to being a female in a male-dominated industry and sport? Have you experienced any of that? Yeah, like personally, I don't see myself any differently, but that doesn't mean that other people aren't going to see me as different. Um, And I have experienced that in the past, like, to be honest, I probably get like at least like one sexist comment a day on like social media or like yeah. um, usually at the racetrack, I'll get some sort of comment. I think sometimes people say something not trying to be sexist, but it kind of is sexist, yeah. um, but it never like gets under my skin. So if somebody's trying to bother me by like making a sexist comment, that's that's not going to bother me. Um, so it's definitely something that I've learned to ignore. And um, like, I know what I'm there to do. I'm there to race and I know I'm a driver just like anybody else. Um, so I feel like if you just kind of have that mindset, it's easy to kind of like brush off those comments. The car doesn't know gender. I like that line a lot. Like where did, where did you come up with that? Cause that you got to print that on a t-shirt that'll sell. Right. I don't know how I came up with that. Um, but you know, I feel like a lot of the girls in the sport think the same thing. I don't think any of us are sitting behind the wheel or like standing in the driver's meeting thinking, Oh, I'm like the only girl here. Like I've never had that cross my mind. And mm-hmm. Um, anytime I've ever talked to any other female driver, like we just want to be treated as equal. We don't need to be yeah. treated as a girl. Like that's not what we want. Um, so yeah, I definitely like that to get that message out there. 
So I know there's a lot of other female drivers in the NASCAR National Series and even the, de the developmental ones like ARCA, ARCA East, ARCA West, Haley Deegan, Brittany Zamora, to name a couple that I've personally worked with in, in the K&N sphere. And I think you, you're good friends with Haley. Is that right? Yeah, Haley's great. We'll go go-karting. We'll get some food. Um, she's been really great. And she's even like offered to sharing like her notes from when she raced ARCA. Oh, nice. um, so she's been a really amazing person to lean on for sure. And people, you know, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that may be on the older side and, you know, like typical NASCAR fans, but some may be younger like us and they may be hip on the social medias. Um, and they might know Lindsay Brewer, who is an Instagram influencer and model, but also a race car driver. Love her content, love her TikToks. It's sweet. She drives some badass cars. Uh, and you're friends with her too, right? She's a big deal. Yeah, I know. I love Lindsay. She's the sweetest. And we actually grew up racing go-karts together, which is so funny. Oh, no way. Um, yeah, and we kind of, she reached out a few years back and we kind of like reunited and became friends. And um, yeah, she's been really great too. And it's exciting to see how far she's come as well. That's pretty cool. Do you know if she has like any NASCAR aspirations or is she sticking to sports cars? Um, I know her aspirations are more in the open wheel field. Mm -hmm. um, for her, I know she'd like to go into IndyCar. So I'm definitely yeah. reading on that. That'd be really cool to see her get up there. Yeah, that's cool. Well, we'll get into your career, open wheel, all that good stuff in a little bit. I want to hit on a, a couple more things. You know, there was uh, the W Series a couple years back, and you were actually one of the final 50 finalists. And there were a ton of names in there, big household names. In terms of NASCAR, the people may know Natalie Decker. She was also in the final 50 finalists. I personally feel, and I don't know if this is like an indictment on me, but I feel like the W Series didn't get a lot of coverage, and people didn't really like know what was going on some people don't even know that it exists so can you tell us a little bit about your experience with that specific series you got pretty far along in the process and how was it for you yeah the w series was a really great experience um i know there was some controversy over it being an all-female series um yeah. people kind of thought that it segregated females a little bit more and separated them um but that wasn't like their message behind it so i feel like there was just some controversy and they didn't really have a chance to get their message out. They're just trying to give more females an opportunity, not trying to separate us. Yeah. Um, Cause that was like one of my biggest things going into the series. When I first found out about it, I was like, why would I want to be in an all female series? Um, but once I spoke with them and like understood their message and what they were trying to do, um, I realized that, you know, they're just trying to give us opportunity. So I think it kind of just didn't give them the platform that they wanted just because there was a little bit of controversy. Not everybody, like when you just first hear about it, it's just kind of like, oh, all female, like, why would you want that? Yeah. Um, so I feel like that kind of hurt them a little bit. But, um, and also with COVID, it's hard to kind of get your first season yeah. started and into COVID and all that kind of stuff. Um, but hopefully they are able to grow and um, get a little bit more eyes on them this year. Were you able to like make some new relationships that you have now just with some some other people in that series that have gone through similar experiences like you trying to make it, you know, sacrificing everything, moving across the country, that type of thing that are clearly in a similar position? Yeah, there were so many girls there and it was really cool because we all had a different background but could all relate at the same time and yeah. um, there's girls from like different countries and everything so it was really cool and we all kind of had the same story of you know we've sacrificed a lot and we're trying to make it and we're going into this series hoping that something could come from it so we all were able to relate in some sort of way which was really cool speaking of sacrificing are you currently in charlotte or are you still at home in california yeah so i am in charlotte okay that's what i thought so that's a big sacrifice being as young as you are 
moving from San Fran all the way to Charlotte. When did that move happen for you and how has it been? Because it's not easy. Yeah, so I actually moved out here as soon as I graduated from high school. Um, And I don't know, like I never saw it as a sacrifice. Like, yes, it kind of is because I'm away from like my family and my friends and like, Mm -hmm. you know, everything that I know I'm just away from. Um, But I just never saw it as a sacrifice because I just knew it was something that I had to do to um, pursue this career in NASCAR and really kind of like take my career to the next step. Um, So it's just kind of something that I saw as like, you know, I need to do this. I want to do this. And I never saw it as like, oh, shoot, like I have to do this. Well, high school, you're still somewhat young. So were your parents kind of like, don't leave, please? Um, honestly, I think they were more upset about like when my brother left for college and when my sister left for college, like nobody was really <laughs> upset about me leaving. They're like, yeah, okay, bye. Go chase your dreams. Have fun. Oh, that's funny. That's so funny. <laughs> how, how often do they come down to visit you? Um, well, cause of COVID, I really haven't seen my parents that often. Um, my dad did go to Daytona. My mom hasn't been able to make it out to a race yet. Um, Nobody's coming to Talladega. I'm kind of sad, um, but it's okay. They'll rip me on on TV. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully, we can both make it out to a couple of races by the end of the season. So your dad helped you, like you know, get started and was go karting with you. What what was your mom saying throughout the whole process? Was she down for it, or was she kind of like, eh, I don't know if I like this? My mom has always been my biggest cheerleader. Um, and it's just funny because there's one point where I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to stick with racing and I just wasn't sure. And I remember I had like a race one day and, um, it was just like a go-kart race. And in the morning I was just having, like, I had a rough practice the day before. And I was like, I don't know, like, I don't know if this is for me. And I was just like questioning everything. I was like 13 years old. So I was a teenager and mood yeah. swing. Um, I remember my mom, like walked into my room. She literally like slapped me across the face. She said, you're not quitting. And, and I didn't quit and I'm here today. <laughs> Nothing like some parenting. I, I, wow. <laughs> it, it clearly worked, right? So good on mom. Yeah. So she's definitely my biggest cheerleader, even, um, even when she kind of had to put her foot down on things and kind of like help me through, um, yeah. she was doing it cause she knew it's really what I wanted to do. Yeah. Put her foot down or just sloppy across the face. Right. Same thing, you know? <laughs> I also read somewhere, Tony, uh, that you need to be a little sassier sometimes and not be so calm. And I think mm-hmm. that maybe, you know, ties back to the whole female female empowerment initiative, especially mm-hmm. in NASCAR nowadays with their push for diversity. Talking to you now and, you know, speaking to you on interviews before, like you are pretty calm, cool and collected. But on the racetrack, you know, as soon as the visor goes down, a lot of people say that they become a different person. And, you know, don't don't talk to me when I'm in the race car because I'm a different yeah. person. I, I'm sure that some of that applies to you, but what do you mean by you have to be a little bit sassier? Just like you, you don't want to take so much crap from people. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think like um, one of the biggest things is like when somebody makes a comment, I feel like I tend to brush it off, but I've had instances where somebody will make a comment and like other females will hear it or like in particular, like younger females will hear a sexist comment. And I feel like that's not... Like if somebody else is hearing a sexist comment, I don't want to brush it off. I want to be able to actually say something, which I'm just yeah. used to brushing things off. But I don't want them to think it's okay. Just because like I brush it off and I ignore it. Um, other girls aren't always able to do that because you have to just get to a certain level of confidence. And, you know, when I was younger, I didn't have that type of confidence. So for me, I think it's important to kind of speak out sometimes. Like I don't love to give haters attention, um, yeah. but I also don't want younger girls to think that those types of comments are okay. Well, I can see why people look up to you as role models because that's a that's a very mature way of thinking about it. 
Um, speaking of role models, did you have any when you were racing growing up that you looked up to in terms of in the open wheel side, NASCAR, anything, anybody like that that you looked up to as a role model? Yeah. So when I first started racing, I actually, you know, my dad, he's an open wheel lover. So I kind of thought that I wanted to go do IndyCar and Danica Patrick was in IndyCar at the time. And she was mm -hmm. really the only female in it. Um, so she was definitely somebody that I looked up to just cause she was really, um, she was paving the way, like people can say whatever they want about her, but no matter what she did pave a way for us females. Um, so I do respect her for that. And I did look up to her when I was younger. Do you ever get the chance to meet her? Um, I tried to meet her one time. Didn't actually get to meet her. Um, yeah, but maybe one day. <laughs> I feel like somehow you can, you can get hooked up with her now at some point. Something tells me that NASCAR could help you out with that. I don't know. For sure. <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So how did the opportunity with Young's Motorsports come about? Because you're racing with them this year and ARCA and trucks. It's the biggest opportunity of your career, probably, when you think about, you know, racing in the National Series and in ARCA as well. How did the whole thing come together for you? Yeah, so basically all last year I was racing late models. I did a full season of the Carolina Pro Late Model Series. Yep. Um, and the team that I was driving for was right across the street from Tyler Young's shop. So that's kind of how we got introduced to them. And I basically toured the shop, took a look at it. And I honestly didn't expect to go into Arca Trucks next year. I thought I was going to have to do another year of late models just because I didn't have the funding. Um, but I felt ready to make the step up. So I got a call that I got to go test for, um, for them at Daytona. So that was a big opportunity. I was like, okay, like this is my moment. And it was like, it really caught me off guard. I was like, am I ready for this? Like, I just wasn't mentally prepared. But I was like, okay, let's go. It's Daytona. And basically I went down, did that test with them, loved the team. And um, I thought about it for a couple of weeks because we were talking to a few other teams as well. And I was like, I just really want to make sure I go to a team that I feel like we're a really good fit. Because you can go to like a team that has all these wins, but if you don't vibe with the team and you don't get along with them, you're not going right. to get wins. So it doesn't really matter um, what the team's like kind of label or whatever is. Yeah. Um, so I talked with Youngs and I was like, you know what? I feel like we're a really good fit. I really liked my crew chief. Tyler's great. And I just love that the team treats me like a driver. I've been with teams that treat me like a girl. And I just liked that they treated me like a driver, just like everybody else. And they're really great. And I was like, you know what, let's do this. And we signed the contract and here we are. <laughs> so basically your late model owner being neighbors with Tyler Young, like sparked this whole thing. That's what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Small world. <laughs> I mean, okay. like you hear stories like that and you're like, no, it couldn't be that coincidental. And it literally was that coincidental that sparked the conversation. And obviously they liked you, you liked them, things escalated from there. But the fact that it was like that little minute thing, that's crazy. Do you ever think about it? like, what if they weren't neighbors? What if they didn't know each other? What if I wasn't at that point? And I didn't know Tyler or I didn't know my owner late models. Do you ever think about all these different things that have to come together and be confluential with each other? Yeah, just like even in like this whole journey, like I just think of like little moments where I did have kind of like down times or things didn't go how I wanted. It's like it all led me to this moment. So everything kind of happens for a reason. It's hard to believe it at certain points when you are going through a rough time to think like, oh, this is yeah. happening to me for a good reason. Um, but everything does happen for a reason and everything came together. So, um, just all those little moments. So this all came together during COVID too, right? Yeah. So it's crazy. Cause I honestly thought 
COVID, like last year was going to be like the worst year for me. Right, right. Um, but it was really like a life changing year. And this year yeah. has been so crazy. It's been a whirlwind. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of, everything kind of has a bit of a silver lining to it. Yeah. It's crazy because you would think, I mean, race car drivers and racing in general is not exempt from everything that COVID, you know, touched when it comes to just everything financially, uh, logistically not being able to go to the racetrack, but it wound up doing you wonders. I mean, it's just crazy. You know, like you go into something with a preconceived notion, oh, this is going to tear my career apart and it lifts you up higher than you've ever been. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, I know. It's definitely, definitely wild. And the year before last year was like the worst season of my life. So I was like really excited for last year. And then when COVID hit and like the season had to like stop, I was like, dang, like I don't want like yeah. a repeat. And I just had like such a bad year before. And I just like last year was like my year to like build my confidence back up. And I finally got with teams that did that for me. And yeah, everything lined up and this year has been great. So stock car racing, Tony, is not your background, though. Dirt is your background. Before we get into being the most winningest female in USAC history, your success over there, how did you get into dirt? Because go-karting in California, I assume, was on asphalt. Uh, there's a ton of dirt tracks all across the country, especially on the West Coast. Jeff Gordon, to name one, you know, started on dirt tracks out there. How did you get hooked up on dirt? Was it a conscious decision when you guys were like, let's go dirt racing? Or did it kind of happen organically? So actually most of like my midget experience was on pavement. Um, okay. I think the first time I got in a midget was on dirt though. Um, but for the most part, I have pavement experience. So I'm like, I'm not going to really impress anybody on dirt at this point yeah. in my life. Uh, but no, yeah, most of my experience is in pavement midgets, which was um, definitely a jump and like very different from go-karts because I went from doing these little road courses to just turning left, which was a whole new learning experience. <laughs> yeah. um, I thought that was crazy. And I, um, it was funny because I never thought of doing my midgets. My dad just bought a midget. He's like, okay, this is what you're racing. This is what I got you. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I wasn't sure if I was going to like it, but I was like, you know, I want to race and this is what I have to race. So I'm not going to turn down a ride. Um, and I ended up falling in love with it. And I did that for a few years and, um, all the time when I was like racing midgets though, I would see the late models out there. And I was like, that's really what I want to do though. I'm like, I love that I'm racing midgets. It's great, but I want to go do that. Um, so I've had my eye on stock cars, like every single time I was doing a midget race and there's stock cars out there, I was like, man, I kind of wish I was doing that. <laughs> So that was, that's, that was going to be my next question. So it was a conscious decision to go to stock cars and, and be on stock cars on asphalt. And it wasn't like a, Hey, maybe we'll give this a try or, eh, this looks kind of fun. Like you were zeroed in on that kind of from day one. Yeah. Like I saw my first late model race at Madeira Speedway and I think it was like my second midget race. So I was still new to like this whole like oval short track world. Mm -hmm. And I saw my first late ball race and I was like, wow, this is really cool. They're like three wide beating and banging on each other's doors. And I was like, this is cool. They actually have fenders. It's crazy. Yeah. I was like, I can't go do that in my midget. We flip over. Um, and it's just yeah. like so much fun. And like from that day, like I just bugged my dad all the time to like, please let me drive a late model. Please let me drive a late model. And he was never into late models. And he's like, I don't know how to work on them. They're big, they're heavy. I don't even know if you can drive one. Um, and I begged him. And finally, he told me, if you get a championship in the midgets, then I'll let you move up. And it took two years in a row. I got second. My third year, I finally got first. And I was like, okay, I'm going. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so, so easy, man. It's like, all right, easy decision. Uh, so the, those two years when you got second, we were like, 
God, gonna have to do this all over again. Yeah, like that third year, I was like, this is the year I have to make it happen. Third time's a charm. Yeah, literally third time's a charm. And I was just like so intense every time I went out on the track. I was like, if I don't win this race, like I literally just like think of like the worst things. Like this will be like my last race ever. I'm never gonna make it to NASCAR. Like just super like got myself in this like really intense mindset. And like, I was very determined that third year, nobody was stopping me. Well, you won a lot because you're the winningest female in USAC history. Now, I, I'm trying to you know put that into perspective for people because USAC is one of the most storied um, organizations in racing, not just in the country but in the world. I mean, there's there's people worldwide that come over to the states to race in USAC, and to be the winningest female in that series, I'm sure, like you mentioned, it wasn't a conscious thing like, oh, yeah, I'm racking up all these wins as a female. I'm going to be in the record books for that. But now you have that, you know, title attached to your name, hopefully for a long, long time. I don't know how close somebody is to breaking your record. I'm not well versed in USAC, so I'm sorry about that. But I mean, that's pretty sweet to have that title attached to your name. And when you were able to, you know, take that record and break that record, Hearing what you've said so far, I imagine that it wasn't a huge deal for you, but reflecting on it, have you able, have you been able to like understand the significance of that? Cause I feel like it is significant. Yeah, it's definitely a cool title to have. Um, I don't know. I never cared too much about it. And I honestly, like when announcers used to mention it, I used to just cringe a little bit. Cause I just never set out to be like the girl, like to yeah. win the most out of the girls or to be the best girl. Like I'm never like in a race thinking like, okay, there's three other girls. I want to beat these girls. Like, I never think of it like that. So I'm always just yeah. like, if I was like the winningest of all time, I'd be like, yeah, like let's flaunt that. <laughs> let's collect it. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to like being the winningest girl, then I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's cool. And I appreciate having like that title and like achieving that, but it's right. not something that I was like set out to do to like flex. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Weird flex, but okay. I got you. Uh, so you do some late model racing too, as you mentioned, I think you did some stuff with GMS, uh, back a little bit ago. Uh, I mean, anything GMS is going to be the best stuff. And I know you've raced at Hickory. I think last weekend, uh, you race at Hickory. So how has it been overall, you know, this year and even last year, just getting more acclimated to stock car racing and late models. Have you had, have you enjoyed it? Yeah, definitely. Last year was amazing. Um, I drove for a couple teams and they really helped me, um, just develop like my race craft and really get comfortable in these stock cars. Um, it's been a minute since I raced Hickory last weekend and it's been so long since I've been on like a short track. I haven't been on one like since last year. So I was like, dang, like I missed this. I want to like use of testing a Daytona, just holding it wide open two and a half miles. You're like, oh man, this is short. Yeah. It's so different. Such like a different driving style. Um, so I definitely want to fill in my schedule, like any like open weekends with some races yeah. at Hickory for sure. Cause it's just like such good, close competitive racing. And it's just, that track's hard. Like I got used to it last year and I came back last weekend and I was like, dang, like this track is rev. Like my body's sore. Like it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Is are there like, um, are there track regulars that are in your, in your classes that are basically just like beating up on everybody? They know the line, they know how to save their tires. Have you like watched them at all and try to learn anything? Yeah. Like honestly, anytime you go to like those local short tracks and do like their local type of series, all those guys have been running there for so many years. I'm like, mm-hmm. I saw these guys when I raced here like three years ago and they raced yeah. here. So they're like the hardest. Like I would say like those drivers are the hardest to beat because you're going to their home turf and their home track. And yeah. they've perfected this track. They have so many laps on it. 
Um, so to me, I feel like those series, when you go into those, they're so much harder than like the touring series where everybody's going to like a new track. Yeah, um, yeah. To have these guys that have so many laps there. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And you mentioned the Carolina Pro Late Model, Pro Late Model mm-hmm. Series. I think you finished fourth in the points uh, last year with DLP Motorsports. And you ran a lot of races in that. I think you were, you know, full-time in that series. So you learned the ropes pretty much with, with that team and DLP. Yeah, no, um, DLP was amazing for me. They really helped. Um, like I said before, like the year before last year had such a bad season and they really kind of helped me build that confidence back up and um, really coached me. Buggy was really great. Um, and they didn't sugarcoat anything like buggy, like he'll tell me for how it is. And he was also great with not treating me like a girl. Cause sometimes people don't want to tell me stuff. I'm like, if I'm sucking right now, tell me I suck and tell me like yeah. what to do. To fix it. Right. Um, so I'm like, don't sugarcoat it. So he was really great. If I was like ever slacking in a race, he'd come on the radio and yell at me. And then that's when I got my good finishes. <laughs> um, so yeah, they were, they were really great with showing me the ropes of late mall racing for sure. So you also do some modeling, Tony. I don't think a lot of NASCAR drivers can say that. Um, how did how did that come about in general? Like, I, I don't think that was something you maybe sought out, but it, it approached you and you were like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. Yeah, I wasn't ever like set out to do modeling. And I know I feel like one of the popular disses that I get is, oh, she's um, just a model trying to be a race car driver right, right. like that's probably like the most popular diss that I get I'm like I'm literally like it'll be like on pictures where I'm just literally not even posing like candid photos I'm like I'm really not trying to model I'm at the racetrack like I was in between practice sessions yeah uh, yeah. yeah so it's not like it's not something I set out to do but again it's an opportunity and I'm not one to turn down opportunities um so yeah if I do get an opportunity to be in a campaign or model or anything I'm not gonna turn it down because I think um I think it's good to like branch out and like not feel like you have to fit and like a norm like you said not many NASCAR drivers Mm -hmm. will do modeling but I'm not gonna shy away from that just because nobody else has done it that would be stupid yeah I mean somebody's got to be the first right you're the first and uh you're first in a bunch of different things so commend you for that I do want to ask though you know you've said repeatedly like being the, the the most winningest female in USAC, that's cool, but I don't think of myself as that. Uh, being the first Arab American female, like that's cool, but I don't think of myself like that. But as you mentioned, a lot of people will look at you and say, oh, she's a model. She has all these sponsors. You just picked up a makeup sponsor. Like she has all these girly girl sponsors. She's posing at the racetrack. She's doing this. She's doing that, whatever. And I know that you're good at, you know, blocking out the haters, focusing on the here and the now. But at some point, I'm sure those haters have gotten to you and you've heard all of those messages saying she's not really here to be a race car driver. She's just here to get her name out there and to get more exposure. So how do you overcome that? Or, or is it something that you even like have to overcome? And it's so ingrained in you now to just like brush that kind of stuff off because you know that it's bullshit and it's not true that you just don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you have to be like confident to brush it off and I'm not always confident. Like it's easy to try to be confident and say like, Oh yeah, just be confident in yourself. But it's not always easy. Like sometimes I'll wake up and I'll be like, man, I don't feel super confident today. Or if I'm at the racetrack, I'm not going to go read some comments because I don't want that to affect my performance. Because again, confidence is really key in performing well. Um, so honestly, like if I feel like I can't handle it, I just won't read it. Um, and I feel like that's kind of like, the easy way out of it just don't look at it um but like it's always going to be there so i just won't you know i'm not going to be scrolling through my comments trying to find like a mean one and 
Um, if I do see one, I'll be like, okay, I'm not going to read it anymore. Bye. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's sometimes easy to brush off, but you know, like it's okay to not always be confident and just don't put yourself in that position to read them in comments if you're not really feeling up to it. Some people need to hear that though. Like some people are like, oh, I got, I got to, got to read it. Got to just like get thick skin. It's okay to sometimes just be like, you know what? I don't want to hear people talk shit about me today. So I'm not going to read it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. like people need to hear that. So like, thank you for being honest. You know what I mean? <laughs> a lot of people just say, I'll oh, brush it off and it doesn't matter. It does like it affects people in different ways. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm sure Danica Patrick, when she was coming up, she got told similar things when she did her SI swimsuit thing. People probably berated her. But as yeah. you said, it's an opportunity. You can't turn down opportunities, especially somebody in your position who is still trying to find funding, who is still working their way up, trying to gain experience. And these are also the same people that they'll be keyboard warriors and then they'll see you at the racetrack, ask for a picture and sign a diecast. You know what I mean? Literally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so annoying like that. But let's go back to modeling because Head and Shoulders, Sunny D, Kim Kardashian Skims, Tori Birch, Sparco and Bell helmets. I think that if I ever need an in for some more shampoo or some orange juice, I'll just give you a call. I mean, does that work? Can you be my in? Yes, I got you. And hopefully, I think we're going to get some other cool sponsors and deals yeah. this year. Um, I'm really excited about Vibe Season and Huda Beauty that we have on board yeah. for Talladega. Makeup and jewelry, if you need some, I got you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm really excited. I feel like, you know, I really want to bring companies into the sport that haven't been in it before. I think that's yeah. important for NASCAR. And I feel like that's really going to broaden the fan base of NASCAR because um, they have a different demographic that they reach out to. So, um, you know, it's cool to have other people kind of start watching the sport a little bit. Was that something conscious that you thought about and like trying to bring new brands into the sport that hadn't already or wouldn't already be involved because of your background? Um, honestly, like for me, I always thought like, let's say like somebody has an oil sponsor and Chase Elliott has that same oil sponsor, like five other race cars have that same oil sponsor. It's like, why would they want to sponsor me if they're sponsoring like five other race car drivers? Yeah. yeah. Like for me, I'm just like always trying to think out of the box and trying to like do things different. Um, because I feel like that's just the, it's just kind of how you have to do it. Like there's so many people, like you just have to stand out in some sort of way and bring something different to the table. Um, so I just think, um, just in general, to like do things out of the box, look at different companies that other yeah. people aren't trying to reach out to. And um, being a female, I feel like you have access to other companies. I don't think um, some of the guys can get a beauty brand on board. Yeah. Um, so I think there's this whole new um, window of like opportunities that females can reach. And yeah, it's exciting to see that yeah. um, I could bring a beauty brand on board. No, oh, 100% it is. So let's talk about your new partner who, Huda Beauty, is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, Huda Beauty. Huda Beauty, okay. Uh, I think they're also based in the UAE, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah. Not yeah. a lot of sponsors in NASCAR are based out there, so just right up your alley what you were saying. New sponsors, new area geographically to a new demographic into NASCAR. How did yeah. that partnership come about? Um. So basically... I just like asked my manager, Hey, like, can we hit them up? Cause I love the brand. Um, ever since I was like 14 years old, I've been wearing mm -hmm. her makeup. Um, and I was like, you know, she's Arab owned, like, um, it's Arab awareness month. So I was just like, I feel like this would be a really great partnership. And I was like, I felt stupid even asking if we could reach out to them. Cause like, they probably won't even answer. Um, but they got back to us like 15 minutes later and I wow. was like, what? 
Okay, cool. Uh, so it's definitely, it's a dream come true because I literally used to wear her makeup all the time growing up and um, it really is a cool sponsorship. I was like, I was like in tears when I found out I was really happy. So this means a lot to me to have them on board. Have you ever had a sponsor get back to you in 15 minutes? Right, that's crazy. I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. There's definitely going to be something here. Um, yeah. But yeah, because I used to reach out to companies all the time and 90% of the time nobody answered me and the other 10% it was a no. <laughs> so it's definitely discouraging to um, get funding and sponsorship. I always say that's the hardest part. Like racing is the easy part when you compare it to getting sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the cruel reality, but I know what you mean. Cause trying to get interviews, I either get ghosted or just get told, Nope, not for <laughs> you. I'm like, eh, all right, at least I tried, but getting back to you that fast and for a brand that you've literally used and wanted to be associated with for so long. That's, that's really cool. That's like almost life coming full circle and you're only 21. Right. Yeah. There's been just like a lot of instances this year where I've said like, I want this to happen and it's actually happened. And yeah. I've been like really big into like manifesting and I swear by it. I know people probably like roll their eyes at it. Um, but I write in my journal every morning I manifest and it's just been weird. Like I've literally said things and I've, got in them and it's just it's wild wow. yeah how long have you been journaling um honestly i started it like right like when this year started and that's when oh, okay. like all this stuff has been happening so i'm like it's not a coincidence it's yeah the, it's keep, is so important yeah keep manifesting it keep seeing it happen it works i guess i've always said that i want to like put like start journaling or like write like have like something in my phone like a daily thing or whatever yeah. And I never do it. So like, I don't know. I guess I just need the extra motivation. I need to start manifesting. Yeah, you do. It's it's great. Like I just started doing it like literally right when this year started. And it's crazy to like go back and like see what I wrote about before and like how far I've come. And it just, it's wild. Definitely. I definitely bad. recommend it. Don't yeah. in it. That's sweet. Um, all right, let's talk about a couple more things and I'll let you run. You were on the Ellen show a couple months ago. The first NASCAR driver to be on the Ellen show. Um, one of my friends from college is obsessed with Ellen. And I told her, I was like, yeah, this NASCAR driver, Tony Bridinger, she's going to be on. She's like, oh my God, what? I need to tape it. Oh my God. This is amazing. Our worlds are colliding. I'm like, yeah, crazy. Right. How cool was that to be on that show? One that I know you, like you said, you've watched for so, so long. Yeah. So like, that was my first like talk show or time, like ever really being like interviewed on TV. So I was like oh, wow. my first one and that's like a big first one. Yeah. <laughs> thrown to the deep end. Yeah. So that was just like, I still can't believe it happened. People were like, how did you get on there? I'm like, I don't know. Like they just called us. I don't know. <laughs> they called um, you. Yeah. They called us. That's why like, it's funny because so many people think that I don't know what they think, but people think like the press that we've been getting, I'm somehow like paying for it or I don't know what they think I'm doing, but so many people have been reaching out to us and it's really amazing. I appreciate this support and um, it's just crazy that like Ellen reached out to us and I honestly thought it was a joke at first. I was like, no way, no, am I, what, no way am I actually going to be on Ellen? And I got the call that I got it and she's like, yeah, she wants you on tomorrow. And I had a flight and I was like, nope, I need to cancel my flight. I'm staying in LA. I got to be on Ellen. Um, so it was just super crazy. So you canceled your flight to be on Ellen? Yes, I canceled my flight. Was it worth it? definitely worth it definitely yeah i know she was she was great super easy to talk to um it was just i still can't believe i did it i have like a little mug that she gave me and i like keep it in my cabinet wow. over here and i just i'm like it's a cute little memory <laughs> that's so cool i never thought that i would hear her say the word daytona 
or talk about NASCAR in general. And I'm like, wow, this is 2021 never fails to disappoint. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> it was yeah, no, crazy. So you're not good with directions. I learned that from the Ellen show. I'm literally, you know, I'm so bad. So I'm like, thank God I just turned left. I don't know what's going to happen. When I get on those road courses, I'm going to need like about a week on the simulator. And so oh, <laughs> the, right way. <laughs> the good thing about road courses compared to like driving on residential roads or whatever is like, there technically is only one way to go, you know? True. So you can't get like that lost. Yeah, that, yeah. Is, that is true. Yeah, Do you no, use I'm that GPS system that Ellen gave you? I hope so. No, actually, I have it. I'm saving it. I'm like, it's a cute little memory. Um, but I always <laughs> use the one on my phone, like all the time. Like oh. even if I'm driving to somewhere that I go to every day, because like I'll just in, like, yeah. Yeah, cause I'll just miss an exit. I don't know what I'm thinking about or what I'm doing. I, I will just like miss an exit. Um, but yeah, like we're driving to Talladega, and I already know they're not going to let me drive there. They're going to be like, nope, you're sitting <laughs> back. Seat. I'm like, okay. <laughs> driving to Talladega, you end up in like Kansas or something. It's like, That's what ah. you're, saying. you're literally going to drive us to Texas or something right now. <laughs> Do you use <laughs> maps, Google maps, ways? What's your navigation of choice? I know. There's um, I just use like the, like the one on Apple that like, Apple yeah, has. I use that one too. It's like, yeah. It's easy. It's there. It's meant to be there. So you're not alone <laughs> though, because senior year of college, uh, I went to Michigan state. So it's a pretty big campus, but I mean, I still, I still am like, wow, I'm so dumb. I GPSed my way to class second semester of senior year of college because I just didn't know where my class was. Like the first day I was like, I've never heard of this building. Where is it? And I was like looking at my phone as I'm like walking to class and somebody walked by. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. They're like, dude, you're about to graduate. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm bad with directions. I'm terrible too. Like, so you're not alone. Trust me. So funny. Yeah. When I visited my sister in college, I was like, how do you know how to get to class? Like I get <laughs> lost in high school, like just going through the hallways. Like I'm like, yeah. how do you even like, I wouldn't even know like where to go get lunch. Like, it's just crazy. It's a different world. It's a different world. So you did visit her in college though. I'm curious. And I ask a lot of drivers that are, you know, coming up and around like 18 to 23 or so years old, it's a conscious decision for race car drivers to forego going to college if that was on the table for them in favor of pursuing a racing career. Uh, your sister's living that right now. Do you have any like FOMO or do you wish that you may have like tried college or are you just totally content being where you are doing what you are right now? I know it's different for a lot of people. Yeah, I definitely think it would have been too difficult to balance college and pursuing racing. Yeah. Um, just because I am like super serious about my racing. I just know like I wouldn't have been focused on college. And obviously college isn't for free. It's expensive. Um, <laughs> yeah. but also, like I wouldn't want to just like waste money, like just getting a college degree just to get it, right. even though I wasn't going to use it. Like obviously you don't need a college degree to be a NASCAR driver. Um, so I always knew like, you know, like also like school just like wasn't for me. So I just knew that I didn't want to do college, but there was times where I'd get FOMO, you know, just like, there's not like, especially when I first moved out here, like I knew nobody when I first moved out here and seeing like all my friends, like on their Snapchat stories and all that, just like yeah. at their parties and like with their sorority. And I'm just sitting in my apartment by myself, getting like no's from companies about sponsorship. And it was just like, there has been times where I'm like, man, like a little sad, about just like not about the path that I chose, but that I'm like it's like a little more of like a lonelier lifestyle adult life. Um, so there has been times where I'll get like FOMO. Um, but yeah, like I bug my sister all the time. I'll call her all the time. She's like, Tony, I'm in class. I'm like, oh, I forgot. That's like a thing. 
So yeah, I bug her all the time and um, I visit her when I can for sure. When you moved down here, like you said, you didn't really know a whole lot of people. Um, you weren't second guessing yourself by any means, but how did you like make friends? Like, did you, was it just a gradual thing over time? Did you see them at like K one or like the go or GoPro, whatever? Like, did you just get to know them at the racetrack? Do you, do you have a lot of friends outside of the racetrack? Because Haley always tells me, she's like, I don't have many friends. And the friends that I do have are in racing. Yeah. Honestly, same here. Cause I'm like, where would I meet friends outside of the racetrack? Like, it's really difficult unless like you're in school. Cause like all my life I've been in school and it's just like, you're just given like people to be around you and it's like easy to make friends in like an area like that. But here it's like, you're by yourself. And, um, I had like a job for a little bit and like, I kind of made friends with like coworkers, but it's not like I necessarily vibed with them. They're just like (laughs) the only people like around me. Um, but yeah, like all my friends out here, they're in racing or they have like some type of connection to racing. Um, but yeah, I still honestly don't, (laughs) I don't have that many friends to be honest. Um, there's like a few people like that I'm closer with, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I used to try to make friends out here with other racers and I necessarily fit in a group and I was kind of like trying to fit into somewhere where I didn't actually fit in with. And it's kind of like, you're hanging out with a group of people, but you still kind of feel alone at the same time. Cause yeah. you're not really like vibing with them. So I was like, I feel like once you kind of are content with like yourself and like, you can be independent and you'll feel a lot happier. It's, it's a weird, weird situation. And it's like hard too. I mean, like, as you said, you move out there, you're on your own doing your thing, pursuing your dream. And you're like sitting in your apartment alone on like a Saturday night when like your Snapchat's blown up with all your friends. You're like, damn, this kind of sucks, but you're good now. You got your core group of homies, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm good now. And honestly, I'm so busy. I'm like trying to find time to like hang out with people now. So definitely different situation, but yeah, I feel like you have to go through those little hard times to kind of get to get through your path, get through your journey. I got that. You got a lot of friends on social media too. You have over 1 million combined followers on social media platforms. That's, it's crazy. I tell you, I have like maybe 8,000 or so. I don't know. I'm nowhere close to a million. Is has this been a conscious effort for you? Like over the years to grow your, your social media following? Because as you said, it attracts sponsorship it gets you more opportunities to get in better race cars. And and that is not, you know, like a lot of people will say, oh, she got this ride because she has like 200,000 Instagram followers, whatever. It's like, no, she got the ride because she's marketable, because yeah. she's a good race car driver. And she also brings this to the table when you, with no Instagram account, don't bring that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So was that like a conscious effort for you throughout your racing career to try to grow yourself on multiple different platforms because it's worked? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, social media is a big part of like the world today. And that's how that's how you're going to get sponsorship. You're not going to get it just because of who you are. Like, um, yeah. it's pretty rare for somebody to just give you like a bunch of money just because of who you are. Like you need to offer something more to the table and you need to offer something more than just putting a sticker on your race car. Like, let's be real. It's really not going to do much if nobody cares about you and you don't have a following. Um, so yeah, it's definitely been like a conscious decision to grow my following, but also I've always loved social media, even like in high school when I was like not racing seriously. And like, even when I was like racing go-karts back in the day, I would use social media all the time. Like I was always just like all up in that. I loved it. Um, so it's definitely, it's not like something that I have to force myself to do. 
Um, I enjoy doing it, but I do also know like how much it has helped me for sure. Yeah. Sometimes it's a cesspool. Sometimes it's fun and it helps you, but you've harnessed it for the better. So I commend you for that. Um, you're also only 21 years old. You were born after 2000, right? No, um, I was born in, wait, I'm wearing it on my necklace. My sponsor actually gave this to me. It's in 1999. Oh, thank God. Because I was going to say, I have a thing with people born after 2000. I'm like, I I can't look at you the same. You're like, you're a baby. Literally. I'm a nineties baby. Okay. I'm a nineties. I technically am too. I was 96. So I got you and July birthday twins, right? Ooh, yes. July 14th. How about you? July 2nd. Nice. So what? Two weeks apart or something like that. Easy. Nice. Love that. All right. That's good. I'm glad we got that out of the way because when I was doing research, on, like I've interviewed a few people that yeah. are like Taylor Gray. I think he's like 15, 16 years old. And I told yeah. him, I was like, dude, this is weird. Like you are a child. You know what I mean? It's it's nuts. So I'm glad you're a 90s baby. Okay, cool. Last thing. And it may be the most important thing. I've recently read in a New York Post article yesterday that you have a bunny named Fetty Hop. Yes. Yes. That is incredible. Yes. I know. I was deciding between Fetty Hop or ASAP Hoppy. So I'm like, if I get a second one, (laughs) I'm going to ASAP Hoppy. But no, he's like my favorite ever. I'm like, I'm so sad because I've been traveling so much. And I'm like, oh, I can't spend as much time with him. But he's the cutest. He's like, when I was like so lonely and everything, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a bunny. And he's been my best friend. I love the name Fetty Hop, based mm-hmm. obviously based on Fetty Wap. People, come on, yes. get your get yourself. Right. I'm like, I don't know if people know who that is anymore. I feel like he kind of faded away, but I feel like it. if you say 1738, it's like a trigger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just <laughs> like Fetty Hop, Fetty Wap, got it. Oh, that's amazing. So, how long have you had Fetty Hop? Couple years? Um, like a year. Mm-hmm. He's a yeah. good bunny. Yes, he's good. He's cute. He's He's funny. He's a funny little guy, but yeah, he's like my best little friend. I'm like, every time I see him, I'm like, you can't just not smile. He's so cute. Oh, he's just a cute little bunny. <laughs> You're going to have to send me some pictures after we hang out. Yes. I swear. I, I love bunnies. All right. <laughs> I lied. This is the last thing. Talladega this weekend in the Arkham Menards series with Young's Motorsports. You've raced on a super speedway before and testing at Daytona. So you understand how to draft in a pack. You're going to go be going really damn fast. Probably the fastest you've ever gone in your life. What are your goals for this weekend? Do you have a target finish? Do you just want to finish all the laps? What do you want to learn? What do you want to do this weekend at Dega? Yeah, I feel like saying that you want to win is like a goal for everybody. Obviously, that's always a goal for me. Um, but I also set like more like smaller goals because everybody's out there to win and like your odds of winning are pretty slim. I'm still going to try right. to do it. Um, but also I have like smaller goals that I want to try to reach. Like at Daytona, we got a top 20. And I feel like the next step will be a top 15. So if I could get a top 15 at Talladega, that means I've improved and I'll be happy with that. And I made some mistakes at Daytona, which um, I definitely want to work on for Talladega. So like definitely like I suck at restarts. So that's like the biggest thing I want to work on is my restarts for sure. And, um, oh, I messed up qualifying big time at Daytona. That was like my first time qualifying in like a group like that. And we lost the draft. I (laughs) screwed up pretty bad. Um, so now I'm like, those are like the things that I want to work on in Talladega. Like all the little mistakes I made at Daytona, I want to fix for Talladega. Um, but I just feel like improvement's the biggest thing. Like, yeah, you want to go win races, but the biggest thing is to improve every weekend. 
Yeah. Well, I think there's, I just looked at the entry list. I think there's under 30 cars. I couldn't count you know, while we were doing it, but I think there's under 30. So I think your, your goal is realistic. Uh, there's probably going to be some attrition as you know, so keep your nose clean, nose to the grindstone. You should be good. And, uh, we will be watching. So best of luck this weekend at Talladega. I seriously can't thank you enough for your time. I know you are in high demand this week, especially, and you've done a lot of interviews and this is probably, uh, we're going what 50 or so minutes. It's probably like one of the longest ones that you've done. So I really appreciate it. I'm glad we were get, able to get into the weeds a little bit more into the racing aspect of things. And I just really appreciate your time, appreciate your honesty. And uh, I know we're going to be seeing a lot of you moving forward for the next few years. So we'll be talking soon. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Tony. Really want to thank her for her time. As I mentioned, she is a woman in high demand right now, especially leading up to this weekend at Talladega. She's got a lot of media. She's doing a lot. She's on the Ellen show. She's uh, calling into all these different radio shows and appearing on television and doing the New York Post article. She's doing a whole heck of a lot. So want to sincerely thank her for her time as well as Roman Empire Management for helping coordinate that conversation a few weeks out. I appreciate them and I appreciate you, Tony. Let's talk about Talladega Super Speedway, the Geico 500 this upcoming weekend. On the granddaddy of them all, the biggest, the baddest 2.66 mile tri-oval in Talladega, Alabama. Denny Hamlin will start on the pole by virtue of his good run last week at Richmond. I think you're probably going to see the usual Speedway suspects that are going to be running up front. You'll have your Penske trio. You'll have your Joe Gibbs racing guys that are either hanging back or running up front with Denny. I'm sure Bubba will be in the mix being a Toyota driver. Ricky Stenhouse will probably be up there. You're going to have Kevin Harvick and probably the Stuart Haas contingent. They're going to lay back for a little bit. These are all things that I think are going to happen. But I have none. But I have no unearthly idea what is going to happen. And that's why we should all watch. Sunday, 2 p.m. on Fox. Instead of a 3 o'clock start, we got a 2 p.m. start on the East Coast. The Xfinity Series also has a Dash for Cash race coming up. And in the Cup Series, though, if there's going to be another surprise winner this season, you would think it would happen in this race in the regular season. So we'll see if somebody can upset the apple card and upset the playoff picture. Look nuts of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. Richmond penalties. Rudy Fugel, William Byron's crew chief, and Michael Hillman, Cody Ware's crew chief, both fined 10 grand apiece for loose lug nuts. And Eric Phillips, John Hunter Dimacek's crew chief, was fined 2,500 bucks for loose lugs as well. Big news story this week. Jennifer Jo Cobb has not been approved to run the cup race for Rick Ware Racing at Talladega this weekend. I wrote about it in my column NASCAR mailbox this week on frontstretch.com, so check out my thoughts there, but I'm pretty opinionated on that. I, I do not agree with NASCAR's decision there. Bush Beer is going to have a dog brew paint scheme on Kevin Harvick's car this weekend. Eric Eastep, former guest on the show, he always says that Bush is the most active brand in the, in the sport, and they do a lot of activation and different things. I wholeheartedly agree with him there. Fraternal Order of Eagles, they're returning to Spire Motorsports with Justin Haley this weekend. Live Fast is honoring Red Farmer at Talladega with a Long Lewis sponsorship and pretty cool paint scheme there. So check that one out on Twitter and all the social medias. Supreme Transportation Group, they're sponsoring Timmy Hill and MBM Motorsports this weekend. Permatex is returning to Starcom Racing and Quinn Huff for two races. 
Auto Tempest is sponsoring Chris Buescher and Rouse Fenway also for two races. Harrison Burton's making his Cup Series debut this weekend for Gaunt Brothers Racing in the 96 Toyota. That'll be interesting to watch. Dover International Speedway, they have been permitted to host fans for their May 14th weekend. I'm going to be there, so I'm excited to see fans there. SMI has named Toyota the official vehicles of NASCAR and Circuit of the Americas. The truck race there is going to be called the Toyota Tundra 225. Alex Bowman's Darlington throwback was revealed, honoring his crew chief, Greg Ives. Kyle Busch's M&M's throwback, honoring their 80th anniversary, was unveiled as well. So was Sam Hunt Racing's number 26 Hot Wheels-themed tribute to Kyle Petty. That is one of my favorites. And Jeffrey Earnhardt's running a Dale Earnhardt Olympics paint scheme for the throwback weekend as well. One more, though. Justin Allgaier, he's honoring Dale Earnhardt, too, with a good humor paint scheme for Darlington. That looked like a pretty sweet ride as well. Gray Galding and Panini America, they're running a UFC Prism paint scheme for Talladega in advance of the fight this weekend. Mason Massey and the Special Olympics Georgia group have partnered together for this weekend at Talladega. Corey Heim, Arkham Menard Series winner for Venturini Motorsports. He's going to make his Truck Series debut at Darlington for KBM. Also going to run at Martinsville later this year. Angry Brew Coffee is sponsoring Spencer Boyd at Kansas Speedway in the Truck Series later this year. That'll wrap things up for Episode 104 of Victory Lane 2.0, Party People. I appreciate you tuning in. I really do. I know your time's valuable, so for you to give me over an hour of it every single week, I cannot tell you how much that means to me. I know it sounds trivial, but I really do appreciate it because I put a lot of work into it. Blood, sweat, tears, the whole nine. Trying to get some good stuff going for y'all, and I hope you guys enjoy what you heard. If you did, do me a favor. I don't say this for my own benefit. It helps the show get more noticed. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud. Wherever you get your podcast, we should be available there for you. If we're not, drop me a line and I'll try to rectify that for you. But until next time, stay safe, stay inside. Keep washing those hands. Actually, I'm going to stop saying stay inside. Get outside, but be safe. Social distance, wear a mask, get your vaccine if you can. And I'll talk to you all on the flip side.